today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. All right, uh, Neil Young, he, along with uh, Bob Dylan, Stevie Nicks, just uh, one of the latest artists to uh, cash in and sell their stuff for uh, big money. Let's bring in Alan Cross, host of the ongoing History of New Music. He is with us now. Alan, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. So far, so good. Uh, my hair does need uh, some serious attention, though. I guess we all sort of look like John Tory. It's the new John Tory. Um, so, uh, you know, there was a time, Alan, when we were talking about old rock and rollers losing the rights of their music or never really had them, and other people were cashing in. Remember with Elvis, it was like, I think the Colonel took like 50% or what have you. And there was this, there was this, uh, uh, I guess, uh, 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 need or this want or this movement on to buy back one's rights. And now we've sort of got to the opposite end where, where artists are, are selling their rights. Why are they doing this? They are doing this because their royalty checks, which were once very, very fat and came in the mailbox every six months or so, are shrinking. And they are knocking on retirement age, and they would like to have all future revenues from the music they wrote over their lifetimes all at once. That way they can live out the rest of their life without any financial insecurity. It's good for tax purposes, and it's also good for estate planning. So if you're in your 70s and you've spent the last 50, 60 years of your life creating music, you would like to benefit from the spoils of your creations before you shuffle off this mortal coil. And that's what these artists are doing. They never what about the argument about creative ownership? Well, okay, let's put that aside for just a second um, and, and explore a few other things first. Um, the, the whole idea is that music is something that is uh, eternal, and that will continue to generate profits for years to come. And if you want to be able to experiment in the last years of your life, you would like to have a financial cushion, which is exactly what a lot of these artists are doing. They never had the opportunity to do this before because this is a fairly new phenomenon. There's five, six, seven companies and now some Wall Street equity firms that are trying to get in on this because they believe that these songs have a tremendous amount of value now and for the next hundred years that will turn a profit. So they're investing in them as they would in any other um, revenue generating commodity. The idea of creative control, the idea of creative integrity is is not really necessarily part of this because this music has already been out there. It's proven itself. And um, there are, uh, when it comes to these, these sales of these catalogs, I am positive that there are all kinds of clauses within these sales contracts that prohibit the purchaser from doing things that the previous owner, the public, the, uh, the artist doesn't want done with their music. So for example, Neil Young, he is a, he has always been an anti-corporate guy. He, uh, you know, he wrote this, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bucks for you. He, yeah. Uh, you know, he, he would never have anything to do with, with uh, selling his songs to uh, for, for commercials or anything like that. So you could bet that in that $150 million deal that came up uh, earlier this month, that he has stipulations in the contract that says you can't use this music for certain commercial purposes. Uh, other people won't have that kind of problem. 
So, and that was my next question, Alan, was can you do this and still regain some kind of control? Or is this the sort of thing that ends up in court decade after decade? Can you still have control and collect the check? Uh, Before anybody hands over this kind of money, there is no way that all the T's aren't crossed and all the I's aren't dotted. There is, it is very, very carefully laid out. And again, remember, these artists are selling their material voluntarily. They are not being coerced into doing it. They're saying, okay, uh, I would like to have this big financial cushion for the rest of my life. Here's what I'll give you, and here's how you may use this music in exchange for the you know, tens of millions of dollars that you were giving me. We were learning that this was a Canadian businessman that bought the rights to Neil Young's songs, and only half of them. Which half? And would this be of value if perhaps it's the half that wasn't as popular or didn't no, generate as much revenue? No, no, no. That's not how it works. So he bought the Neil Young's share in uh, the work that he did with the Buffalo Springfield. So he was uh, a co-writer in, in a lot of those songs. Mm-hmm. And 50% of what he would have gotten in the future ah. has been sold to uh this company called um, Hypnosis. Same thing with his solo stuff. He sold not 50% of his catalog, but 50% mm. of, of the, the royalties he, for the royalties that he would have received for the rest of his life. So he can make sure that his pro, that, that his creations, that his songs can be used for good, not evil. He He will even have that control from the grave? I'm going to guess, well, again, we don't know the details of the contract. Yeah. But knowing Neil and, and how grumpy he can be with these sorts of things, uh, those he, I, I can't see him giving that up even in death. We remember when the uh, Beatles music, McCartney lost the rights to those to Michael Jackson, and then they started showing up in commercials and, and, and what have you uh, and such. Um, will this be a lot more detailed in, in the sense that you can use, for example, the song? You can't use the recording. Someone else has to do it. You can use the music, not the lyrics. Would it be that detailed? It would be. Uh, there are two types of uh, copyright. First of all, there is the... Uh, the music itself, the stuff that you could write down on a piece of paper as sheet music. That's one thing. Then there's something called the master recordings, which is the actual song on record. And what we're talking about here is the publishing of the sheet music equivalent of, of the music. The masters are something completely different. They're another way of generating revenue, and that's not what's being sold. So if uh, Neil Young still owns his master recordings, he keeps his master recordings but he has sold 50% of his publishing. Right. This is so complicated, really, yeah. really complicated. And I spent a lot of time trying to, to, to you know, educate myself on the whole thing because this has become a very big deal. Um, one of the fun, you know, fun, interesting things is, is, is if you talk to this guy who, who runs hypnosis, his name is Merck Mercuriatus, born in Quebec, uh, used to work in Toronto in the record industry and has now created this song fund, the Hypnosis Song Fund, where he's buying up all these songs for the purpose of exploiting them or what he says is unlocking their value for years Hmm. to come. He figures that the average uh, lifetime of what he's got in his portfolio, which I think is about 57,000 songs right now, is about 100 years. So the Hypnosis Song Fund has about 100 years to make back all its money as a general profit. So that's one thing. 
the what's interesting is you start going what this will do is that this will give all these older songs new life mm-hmm. new exposure uh new opportunities to be heard which when you think about it could come at the expense of newer artists yeah so songs wow. that were recorded you know 50 60 years ago will continue to be heard 50 60 years into the future and that may cast a shadow over the creation of new music from young artists. So what we're looking at here with these five, six companies and all the Wall Street firms is an opportunity to basically control humanity's songbook, to control all the best songs ever written, and to make sure that they stay top of mind with the public for another hundred years. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We uh, we heard what this businessman had to say and how, in the end, very much like you said, bringing value and exposure to this music that maybe wouldn't have had it. Uh, it kind of sounds like he wants the best for Neil Young's music. Uh, are there those out there that really have that at heart, or is this about financial exploitation? You know what? We don't know. I would imagine that the, you know, uh, Hypnosis, Concord, Round Hill, and a few of the others do have the music, uh, music's best interest in mind. It's when you start to get into the Wall Street equity companies that look at them as uh, this music is nothing more than, you know, oil futures, you know, uh, pork belly futures or, or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's just something to be, it's another commodity to be, exploited in whatever way possible, which is another issue because if Wall Street gains the upper hand on all this stuff, well, what do you think is going to happen to the integrity of this music? Yeah. So is this regarding new outlets? Basically what we're talking here is music that can be used in, for example, a movie soundtrack, uh, a commercial soundtrack. What is, what does this world include? That's a good question, because if you're looking, for example, at Universal Music, which purchased Bob Dylan's uh, catalog for was it, somewhere around $400 million, uh, they got to make their money back on that. Now, you know, people are going to be listening to Bob Dylan for the foreseeable future, but to make back $400 million, a lot more people got to be exposed to Bob Dylan to either stream his music or to recognize it as part of an, an advertising campaign, a, uh, a movie soundtrack, a placement in television shows, you know, all those sorts of things generate money. So uh, it's, it's unclear as to how exactly these companies plan to unlock the value in these songs, other than the few things that I just mentioned. Um, you know, there's merchandising opportunities. There's, uh, I, I don't know what else. But these are smart mm. people, and you don't start throwing around. Uh, in, in the case of, of hypnosis, uh, you know, close to two billion dollars U.S. buying up these catalogs with no plan. So who's next? I mean, you know, we've got pretty high-profile musicians, legendary musicians, not necessarily hit music, but certainly very, very deep catalogs. Dylan, Neil Young, and such. Who's next for this? I can, I can see the Eagles. You know, mm. that would that would definitely be one. Uh, I could see U2, for example, somewhere down the line. Uh, they own their masters, 
So they're able to generate money from, from that. But if you look at U2's catalog sales, nobody's buying old U2 records anymore, which is yeah. why they went on tour with that Joshua Tree uh, um, retrospective yeah. to try and, you know, um, and, and, and boost sales in the back catalog. So I could see U2 doing it. Um, you know, maybe Noel Gallagher gets tired of, of uh, you know, counting his money and wants, or isn't tired of counting his money and he wants to count more. So uh, maybe he'll sell off his, just to spite his brother. I mean, there's there's a lot of acts that could do this. David Bowie's estate has already done it once. They had uh, something called Bowie Bonds back in the late 1990s, where uh, Bowie's music, Future Royalties, under, uh, underwrote some um, some bonds that were eventually returned to him. Uh, the, the rights were returned to him just before he died. So he ended up getting $55 million up front, and then uh, he his estate now owns that music again, and he can they can do whatever they want with it. So we'll you know this it, it, I would look mostly at two types of people: legacy rock stars, people who are in their sixties and seventies who are looking to you know wrap up their careers with a big paycheck so they can uh, you know set up their inheritances, and uh, prolific songwriters who maybe we don't know who their 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 names are, maybe mm. they're not. Uh, um, you know, Diane Warren, for example, right? Yeah, written, a, you know, everything from one of the Star Trek themes to, you know, a billion other things. There's a guy named Keith Forsey who did an awful lot of music for uh, the John Hughes films, including uh, Don't You Forget About Me from, from Simple Minds. He wrote that. So you might see some of these, these, um, these songwriters for hires. Max Martin, uh, another guy, who, the, the very, very famous Swedish producer who has a billion hits behind people like, uh, uh, you know, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and, and Britney Spears. Uh, that music could be, or you could sell a portion. You don't have to sell everything. You only sell 50% of it. Yeah, you, you know, you, yeah. so your, your royalty checks from that music will be half as big as they used to be. But at the same time, you get the other half in a big chunk. Alan, we were you and you were mentioning this before about it uh, it impeding new artists. Are you concerned that the market is going to get saturated with this stuff? I mean, already our kids, you know, my teenagers listen to everything that they hear, all the way back to everything that I grew up listening to. So this music already has a lot of exposure, a couple of generations worth. How concerned are you if everybody starts doing this that the market's just going to be saturated and maybe even drive the price of this stuff? down i have a feeling that um uh we yes we are <laughs> they have to make their money back we are, are are going to hear a lot more of this stuff going forward uh simply because you know there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences let's put it that way uh, when you set something like this in motion without a clear path or at least apparent path to us uh what's going to happen you know, I'll, I'll give you another one. You know, Led Zeppelin, for example. What happens to all of yes. Led Zeppelin's music? Um, what happens to all of Pink Floyd's music? What happens to all of, uh, you know, the, the, you know, Paul McCartney's solo work? You know, it, it, he owns all that stuff, but, you know, what's he, what, you know, he's, he's in his upper 70s. What's going to happen? And when he, if, if he, for example, decides to unload that for, oh, God, that'd be a billion-dollar sale. Uh, where does that money go? Does the money go back into the system? Uh, does it, it, does any of it, um, get used to develop new artists? That's another thing too, because when you have these older artists selling, 
you know, with, with, with catalogs that are, are steady money makers year after year after year after year, you know, the doors and the beastie boys, and, you know, go on and on. Um, that money is used by publishers and by record labels to invest in new talent. And if that money is not being used by record labels to invest in new talent anymore, who is going to be investing in the new talent? Again, it gets very complicated. Mm. And, uh, we, I, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not very smart when it comes to this sort of thing. I'm, I'm just watching and, and trying to figure out where we go from here. All right, last question, Alan. How much of this, of what we're seeing, whether it's the Dillons, the Youngs, Stevie Nicks, whatever, is due to COVID-19? Can't tour. Have spent the last uh, year at home. Yeah, uh, I would say that it's a big deal uh, because these, you know, the, the older stars were staying on the road for as long as they did just because they weren't making any money from selling albums anymore. So mm-hmm. they would go on the road and make big money, like somebody like Fleetwood Mac would pay, get paid, I don't know, two or $3 million a night divided five ways. Wow. Uh, that's, that's pretty good. And if you can't do that, uh, all of a sudden, that's a big dent in your, in, your, uh, in your income stream. And your royalty checks, like I said, were getting smaller. You've got a lifestyle to support. And then you're thinking, you know, I'm 70, 71, 72 years old. I want my pension. I want it up front. I want mm-hmm. my severance. So I can go, you know, live out the rest of my life without any worries. So I, I think I'm. That's a good point. I, I would. I wonder if COVID nineteen is a big catalyst for some of yeah. these sales. Alan Cross has been with us, host of the ongoing History of New Music, talking about uh, legendary artists selling at least parts of their catalog uh, during a COVID nineteen pandemic. Alan, thank you so much for the time and insight. As always, greatly appreciated. Be well. Anytime. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.